You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys had an excellent weekend. I most certainly did. I was super busy recording a bunch of sick, sick content for my upcoming sober February month, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Everything that I have recorded so far for sober February is absolutely amazing. My guests are amazing. The conversations are amazing. And it is all absolutely sober. I am super stoked to take and tackle the Sober February Challenge. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is one of Montreal's premier metal promoters. When there isn't a global pandemic crippling the music industry, they normally put on a bunch of amazing metal shows here in Montreal. But not only that, they also put on one of North America's sickest metal festivals, and that is the absolute truth. Trust me when I say this, because I have played just about all of the biggest metal festivals across the globe, and Heavy Montreal are up there with the best of them. I am super stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops podcast. On today's episode, I am with Aaron Stainthorpe, the vocalist of My Dying Bride. Get ready, this is Vox and Hops episode number 222. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, I'm with Aaron Stainthorpe of My Dying Bride. I am very, very excited to be with you. I've been a fan for a while. Uh, Let's start with a very simple yet complex question that I like to throw at people to start off with. How have you been coping with this glorious year of 2020? Well, it's not been that bad for My Dying Bride, to be honest, because even in a good year, we'll only do... 15 16 17 shows mm. so you know it's not it's not a mad year for us in that respect i mean we've released three records the album in march the ep in november and then uh, the reissue from peaceful of Vivinta, um which was very recent so we've kept active you know we've kept people aware of what the band's doing and of course we, we launched the beer as well this year so that's kind of four four new products released so we've you know we've kept active when we couldn't gig um, but we haven't gigged since September 2017 anyway. Mm. So this is just a continuation of that. We were hoping to return to live performances in 2020, but no one could foresee a pandemic. Um, so perhaps 2021, um, you know, the vaccine's been rolled out now here in the UK. Um, the first man to get it, believe it or not, his name was William Shakespeare. I kid you not. <laughs> That's genuine. You can't, you can't make this up. No, I know. So, um, so Williams had it, and um, it seems to be seems to be doing a good thing. So, if everyone else can take it, we might be able to get back to gigging properly in twenty twenty one. Which you know we can all just hope for. There's there's something so it's like a huge huge void in my life personally. Not, not, yeah. not, not just you know playing is one thing, but just attending shows. Yeah, I know. You just, I mean, I've seen some of these online gigs. Um, and I've seen people trying to do real shows where they've they've marked out a grid pattern on the floor and there's, you know, three people there and then a two-meter gap. It doesn't work. Heavy no. metal, rock music. <laughs> You've got to literally feel the sweat of the people around you, that nervous energy, that the vibrance of a, a rock show 
it isn't done standing in a square. No. So I would, th- there's no way I'm attending a show like that because that's not a show. I don't know what that is. That's, it's like going to the zoo. You're just standing there in a specific place watching something happen. It's not, that's not a gig. No, it's completely unnatural, and it's not a show that I want to attend or play. I, I would hate to be on stage and see that. It would feel very dystopian to me. <laughs> yes, I, we won't be doing that. Um, I mean, we've played to some small audiences, but <laughs> we're not going down that road. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. What beer do you have on your side there, Aaron, we're going to share virtually today? Well... We've actually been working on this beer called Old Earth since November last year. So we've had a good old, uh, a good old sampling session, I can assure you. <laughs> but we want to do you know, We could have easily approached Darkland Brewery and said, look, guys, just give us whatever you've already got made and we'll just rebrand it and we'll sell it like that. But I, I can't live with that. I can't tell people it's our beer then because it's not our beer. It's just someone else's beer and we've stuck our logo on it. So I went down to the brewery and like a lot of microbreweries, they did ales, stouts and traditional beers. They'd mm-hmm. ne- never done a lager before. And I expressed an interest in doing a lager. My thinking being that um, for the most part, my Dying Bride fans, um, particularly in Western Europe, are big lager drinkers. And we figured, OK, um, the sales will predominantly be in that area. So let's pander to them and let's make a lager. And the brewery was sort of pondering and scratching their chin saying, well, we've never done a lager before, but we'll look into it. And that was great. So they they, they did um, they did a bit more research and they enjoyed the learning process of creating a lager. I'm presuming a lager is more difficult, more difficult to make than an ale. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it as well. It seems ale is quite easy. Hence, everyone's doing it. Lager's a bit trickier. But we went there every few weeks, and we, we were sampling all <laughs> kinds of things, and it was amazing. To be honest, the first one we sampled was great, but we just told them, no, just change it a bit. So <laughs> over the months, we, we kept going back and, and uh, trying it. And then the beauty about that, of course, is when we've got a product like Old Earth, anyone who's got a product is going to say it's great. We spent months tasting it to nail the taste so that we loved it. So we genuinely loved this flavour because it it took a year to develop. And then, again, thinking about selling it online, we asked the brewery, look, I know you only do bottles. Shipping cans is a bit easier and probably cheaper. They're a little bit less in weight. Um, And again, Darkland had never done canning before. They looked into it. And funnily enough, there is a mobile canning company who will drive up to your premises. Yep. Open the back of the van, pull out this strange looking piece of equipment with pipes and things all over the place. And they will can for you. And I was there one day and it's, it's just it's quite a mesmerizing process. If you've never seen it before, it's, it's quite it's just quite an interesting thing. And you wonder who, who invented this machine. It's, it's a remarkable piece of gear. Um, and so they researched lager. They nailed it. They researched canning. They nailed that as well. We had a launch party, which we were hoping would have been a, a proper launch party where we could have invited hundreds of people, but obviously COVID got in the way. So a few of the band went down and a couple of friends. Um, we did some social media stuff and got right royally drunk. Um, <laughs> we, and it was nice because 
Because we were drinking something that was made just behind the bar. It's, it's made here. We know the ingredients. We know who's made it. And I think when you have those things, do all those elements in place, you're waking up the following day with less of a hangover. It's true. Because I think there's just there's clarity in the ingredients and the process. And it hasn't sat somewhere on a shelf for months. It hasn't traveled around the world. It's been made there and it's now here and it's now here. <laughs> and it's just a really fresh, a really fresh thing. It's really tasty and I really like it. Awesome. 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 I love it. I love it. So many great things you just said that. So this brewery loves you because they got into lagering for you. They got into canning. They, you, t- you turn their industry completely on their head. Yeah, they've expanded now. It's amazing. And you are right that lagers take longer to make, which is why they're more expensive because they have to sit in the tanks for another two, three weeks versus a, an ale. And it has to be kept cold the whole time, too. So that's why it's more expensive. That was another thing. Yeah, because apparently there was a mix up with the canning company. When they arrived... Uh, the memo hadn't got to Darkland to reduce the temperature for canning. It has to be canned at a really cold temperature. So when the canning company first arrived, the beer just wasn't ready. So they off they went again. And because then, you have to reserve them, right? And it's a brilliant, brilliant business. Whoever invented this mobile yeah. canning system that just rolls into breweries, brilliant marketing strategy right there. But sometimes the downfall to that is brewers are putting beers into cans that aren't specifically ready but they can't wait because the next time they can get the canning system back in the beer would be too late to go into a can so it's it's not a perfect system but it's a very brilliant one yeah I loved it and to see these huge pallets with thousands of My Dime Bride cans on them it's just great Yeah, the, the thing about when we came up with the artwork um, and the label for this, we, we properly, we purposely went for a matte feel. Mm-hmm. And it has, I mean, you can sort of feel it has like almost like an eggshell finish, which is non-slip as well. So you're less <laughs> likely to drop it on the floor. Um, no waste, no just, waste. It's got a lovely, lovely texture. And everyone who we've given cans to, as soon as they've picked it up, they've had a little feel of it. <laughs> You know, just because it it just feels a bit different to normal canning uh, labels. And we've got some in silver cans and some in black cans. We nice. Wanted, we wanted black. I see the black colors. ones behind you there, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we... That's nice, yeah. They couldn't, they couldn't find the black tops. tops. Yeah. So, that again, they're, they're looking into that. Um, very, very cool. So it's just yeah, the lager. Re- do you know, t- do you, since you're so involved with it, do you know what, what hops went into it? What's the, what, what was the grain? I got it off Gavin, the uh, the brewmaster, and I am going to pronounce these wrong, but you will correct me, I'm yeah, sure. Right, so right, the, we'll see. <laughs> the first one is Halatau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you did that pretty well, yeah. Yeah, the second one is Huel. No, see, I don't know that one, but yeah. H-U-E-L-L, Melon. Yeah, yeah, okay, I've heard I've heard of that one too, yeah. And... Mandarina Bavaria hops. Yeah, yeah, a classic German hop right there. So that, that's... Yeah, those appears to only have three ingredients. It must have more than three. Those are just the hops right there. Right, okay, yeah. So so that's what's in it. And it's it's you could help me on this. It's what's the brewery calling a Vienna lager. What does that mean? So it would be based on a traditional style that came from vienna so it's very dry crispy has a nice malty bite am i correct with that yeah 
Very interesting. I love it. So crack that open if you want to drink it. If not, crack something else open. On my side, I'm going to be drinking Kanawage Brewing Company's Wizard. This is a New England IPA. Clocks in at 6.8%. Uh, <laughs> excellent brewery here. Uh, young brewery. It opened in uh, 2017, but they're doing great, great things. I love them. They just actually made a beer for Cryptopsy called Crisp Topsy. It is <laughs> a, exactly. It is a Pilsner Supremacy. It is a New World Pisner, which is double dry hopped with mosaic hops, which is one of my hops of choice. So I'm going to crack this. Let's talk about beer. Let's let's go back in time. Do you remember your very, very first beer, Aaron? Mm. It was my father's homebrew. So it was free, which was always a bonus to start with. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I can't remember. What it, my father was a Yorkshireman, so he liked a traditional bitter. Mm-hmm. So that's what he made. Um, but I, I always remember um, he never let it brew for quite long enough. There was the temptation you know, was to sort of, <laughs> oh, it's supposed to have another five days, but let's have a little taste right now, <laughs> shall we? So which obviously you shouldn't really be doing, but especially not giving it to your child as well. Um, but it was really nice. I think it had a, quite an interesting flavour and it wasn't super fizzy. Um, and it was... And it was at room temperature because it was kept um, in the cupboard under the stairs. And it, it was, it was for someone who's never tried beer before, I thought it was pretty good because quite often when people try beer for the first time, there's a bit of face pulling and it's not what they expect for quite a lot of the time. But for me, um, because I could smell it and I'd actually been to the pub with my father many times, but, you know, just lemonade and a packet of crisps and, and that kind of thing. So you know what the beer smells like, you know what it looks like, um, and you see people enjoying it. So you think, well, it must be quite enjoyable then. And I enjoyed the first one. Um, it will have been a bitter, as I say. Um, I can't, I can't do stouts. They're a little bit, um, they're just a little bit heavy for me. It's such a honed and focused flavour. It's just, it, it, it's more. You almost sip stouts, I think. Whereas things like Old Earth, you can really get it down fast. <laughs> uh, and that's sort of how I like it sometimes. So, yeah, my first one will have been homebrew. And then when I will have come of age, my dad will have taken me to, um, it was called the Railway Inn. It was near an old railway line. Um, and they, they served on tap, they served Stone's Best Bitter from Sheffield. Uh, and it was really nice. It was crystal clear. Well, not you know, it still had a, obviously a, a, an amber colour, but it was clear and and creamy. You know, the head, the head didn't look like bubbles. It looked like ice cream. Mm. It was so dense. It was, and of course, it's always on your top lip there, and it's, <laughs> everybody has got it. And it was just, it was just nice. That was, and it was a fairly low. I think it was three point eight percent. So a good introduction beer, I think. So really enjoyed that. In fact, I should have got, I should have got. A, I have got a glass. Go for it. Go for it. And it's a My Dying Bride glass, I hope. There he goes. <laughs> there we go. Look at that. Never injured. I should probably give it a rinse first. Because... You've drank through it in, in worse glass where I imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to quite happily drink out of cans um, until, you know, you, you hear people saying, oh, well, you shouldn't, you know, what if... Um, rats have urinated on them when they've been sat in some export warehouse or something like that and you kind of think 
Is that an old wives' tale? Is that hokum, or is it? Is that a thing? I guess then, it could be possible, but who cares, really? <laughs> yeah, and then one time, unfortunately, I bought a pack of four. I can't remember what it was now, and I sensed a little bit of stickiness on the top of the can, and I just I gave it a quick rub. Opened the can, drunk the cans. God, I was ill for ten days. I and I couldn't. I was looking at the things I'd eaten before, and I couldn't think of anything. And then I thought, those sticky beer cans. Huh. That's the only thing that there was a, a, something that shouldn't have been on those cans. And of course, as soon as you open it, it effectively just clears the top of the can and you're drinking whatever was on that can. And I was sick as a dog that I don't drink out of cans anymore. Cheers, Aaron. Yeah, cheers. Look at the head on that. <laughs> Whoa. Mm, the wizard has got a nice dank bite. Super juicy, tropical love it Kanawaki Brewing Company support them if you can people uh, I love that you guys made a, a lager and not an intense beer a lot of people that are doing these band beers believe that because we play heavy music we have to have a heavy beer and I, I don't I'm, I do not believe in that so so uh, cheers to you guys for, for doing something that's super drinkable and crushable well we, we thought Initially, obviously, what everyone's going to do, it's got to be 6.66%. Of course. <laughs> but that's, it, that, that's quite a potent brew. And you've got to, to some extent, have one eye on sales. Uh-huh. And if you do a session beer, people will buy more of it. We get a, a bit more money. So if you're doing a 6.66%, people are only going to buy one or two before they fall over. (laughs) But you're not going to make much money. So if you have it very quaffable, people will repurchase and make a session of it, which is quite nice. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Let's dabble into music. Let's move back and talk about the soundtrack of your youth. When you were growing up in your parents' or guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? My father and mother loved the Beatles. Yes. And they had in the living room one of these record racks. It was like a wire rack with a handle so you could pick them up. I don't know why you could, <laughs> why they felt the need to transport them around. Um, but it had all these seven-inch singles from back in the day. My father bought them all. And I remember now seeing early photos of him in his early 20s and 30s. And he had a proper quiff and, you know, and he had the suit and everything. And, he, you know, he looked absolutely bang on. So he bought all the records. And, you know, when, when we moved home, he threw them all away. Really? And I'm thinking now there was a lot of seven-inch Beatles records. I mean, they made a lot. There could have been a gem in there that might be worth <laughs> a small fortune. I'm thinking eBay. Um, and, but my dad was one of the kind of people who... When we move, he, he doesn't hoard things. Um, and, you know, he, 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 I think we moved in the 80s. And by that point, the Beatles were over in his mind. Mm. Um, so there was no point keeping them anymore. And I, I think the record player was broken. And he'd moved away from music. He was a military man and um, he'd been in the army for 26 years. So we grew up in Germany. I spent the first 15 years of my life in Germany. And we used to come to England for a vacation, which was amazing, you know, because in Germany, we dealt with Fennings and Deutschmarks. That was the currency of the time. And that was normal for us. So when we went to England, it was pounds and pennies. And it was all, you know, just looking at the coins, even though I was a British person, I'd never seen the money before. 
And it was all foreign to me. And, you know, fish and chips and, and just things you couldn't get in Germany. Um, we were experiencing in England, you know, our home country, you know, um, but it was it was foreign to us. Um, but we loved it, you know. So, yeah, mum and dad loved the Beatles. Um, everybody loved them. When we lived in Germany, I mean, the Beatles played in Germany a lot. So all of Germany, not just the military, but the, you know, the civilians there as well. It was Beatle madness. And you can, you can sort of understand why. I mean, when you see some of those early live performances where the crowd just screamed constantly, it's a bit like My Dying Bride, really, but uh, <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> I wonder if your dad, being in Germany at that time and doing those home brews, he was brewing those beers because he couldn't find one like at home from the UK in Germany. The home brewing came later, to be honest. When we moved back to England, he retired and we moved back to England in the, the early 80s. That's when he began the whole home brewing thing. And he did wine as well in the, in the, uh, in the garage outside. I love it. And it, it, I think because the boys wanted wine and the uh, beer and the girls wanted wine. I've got two older sisters. And he had read somewhere in one of these um, brewing magazines that you can make wine out of any fruit or vegetables, literally anything. So he he took a punt on garlic wine. I've never heard that, really. <laughs> it, it, it's not a drinking wine, but it's great to cook with. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You, you don't want you don't want a glass of that. <laughs> hey, what's up, Fox and Hobsons? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates. That coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, you, you mentioned you guys have been very, very busy this year uh, doing, you know, releasing three albums, materials. That's that's insane. Was this something that was on the books or is it something that came about because of the pandemic? No, the album was scheduled for a March 2020 release sometime back in September mm -hmm. in in 2019 so that was already scheduled it was released on march the 6th i believe so before the first kind of lockdowns happened across europe uh, so that was fine so people could still go to a record shop and make the purchase there and then i suspect most people buy online um so um sales of the ep which came out on november the whatever it was i doubt they'll have been effective much affected by the pandemic much because as i say people are just pointing and clicking and downloading you will still get tradi traditionalists who would like to go to a record sh shop you know because it's nice to flick through all these albums um we haven't been able to do that so you never you never know when when stores return back to normal 
um, there might be a, a little resurge in sales as people go back into stores. And because records are tactile, I mean, I've got, I only just received my copy of the EP the other day and it's got like gold. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's got low. It's just, I love it. For an EP to be gatefold, it's yeah. just, it's remarkable. And so I think when people get it in their hands and look at it, they, they're going to buy it straight away because it looks and it feels gorgeous. Um, and then the the other one, which I, I have here as well, Evinta. We released Evinta, I, I can't remember, I think it was to celebrate our 10th anniversary. So that's a, that was a while ago. But Evinta was, it was a weird one. We should have warned our fans before we just released it. They thought it was a regular album, but it's classical music. And so that surprised a lot of people. Some people disappointed because they thought, is this the new direction my dying bride is taking? Where's the crushing guitars? Um, but it wasn't. It was a celebration of our first decade in music. And in order to put it together, myself and Andrew, the, the other founder member, we went through our whole back catalogue, listening to every single song and making a note of the very best moments in every song. So it would be like Turn Loose the Swans at 3 minutes 02. There's a wonderful violin piece and it finishes at, at 4 minutes 06. And you write that down. And so we had page after page after page of all this detail of where the finest parts of My Dying Bride were. We then handed our entire discography to a guy called Johnny Maudling from the band Balsa Goth, who is a great composer himself. And he got together with some classical musicians he knew. And we didn't tell them where these pieces of music came from. So what we wanted them to do was to simply take a piece, right, okay, it's a violin piece and it's from X song, and but we'll play it on piano instead of violin. And they would take a guitar part from another song and play that on violin and put it all together. So in, in any song... Uh, if I pick one out completely at random, what have we got? Um, in Your Dark Pavilion. In that song will be moments from six or seven My Dying Bride songs. That's so cool. From the first decade of our career, but woven together with different instrumentation. And I've written brand new vocals. I do some narration, some whispering and some singing. And then we got an opera singer from France, Lucy Roche, she came over and she's done some great, I think she's a mezzo-soprano, some wonderful vocals on it. And she sings in French on some of the songs as well. And it's just, it's us indulging in something that's a bit special. And again, the easy option would have been to simply give all our CDs to a, 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 an orchestra and say, just do some cover versions. That That's too easy. Everybody does that. We ask them, well chop it all up, mix it all up, put it back together any way you see fit and create new entities out of existing parts. And it's, it's, I love it. I think it's a staggering thing. It's not everybody's cup of tea and I appreciate that, but I, I think it's amazing. It's a very, very creative approach to, to uh, acknowledging the first 10 years of your career. Very, very, very creative. Yeah, we, we don't do things easy. We like a challenge. <laughs> we, we've never had a manager. Myself and Andrew have managed the band from day one. So, when an undertaking like this is manoeuvring itself into place, we try and think outside the box a little bit. We try and make it as interesting as possible. And if that means additional work, so be it. 
because it will then hopefully be recognised as a quality product and not just another thing a band have thrown out with their logo on it to make some cash. We've never done that. Everything we do, we do it the really hard way around. But it's rewarding when you do that. Mm, like the beer, like like you were mentioning with the beer. You could have just slapped yeah. your label on anything, but you didn't do could that. Could have done that. You didn't do that. Uh, 30 years you've been doing My Dying Bride, which is, you know, cheers to that. It's it's absolutely incredible. Oh, yes, indeed. You know, imagine that first show, you get, you're you standing on that stage and you someone whispers in your ear, you're going to be doing this 30 years down the line. Would you have believed them? I would have dreaded it at that point because <laughs> if you've only released one album, you will automatically think, God, we're going to have to sing these same songs for the next 30 years. <laughs> Thankfully, we've been creative enough to keep things interesting for ourselves and the fans, and we've evolved over the years. Some cynics might say, oh, it's my dying bride doing what they always do. But I think we've evolved and pushed the boundaries just enough for us still to be recognised as my dying bride but with enough new content to keep it fresh and exciting because we don't want to repeat ourselves with every album. We'd be bored of that. The fans would be bored of that. And again, it's a cop-out. You know, you can... The Ghost of Orion took forever to record. And at some point, even I was thinking, look, let's just let's just release it. The fans are going to love it. Let's just release it. And it... Andrew and Mark Minot, the studio engineer, were like, no, 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 no. We've got to nail it. Every album you do must surpass the previous album or you're going backwards. Huh. And our previous album, Feel the Misery, was released five years ago and it got rave reviews everywhere. And so we needed to top that. So luckily, Nuclear Blast didn't give us a deadline, which allowed us to write songs, go into the studio, record them fully and spend as much time as we wanted recording them, then take them home, listen to them in the car, listen them onto your home stereo, listen to them through the headphones. And if you can make any point of any one of the songs better, we go back, we make it better, we record it all, we take it home, we listen to it in the car, <laughs> on the stereo, on the headphones. And when you can't improve it, it's finished. Wow. Now, that's a long process. Yes. And you know, thank you to Nuclear Blast for giving us that time to do it. But it enabled us to get a product out where we were just so proud of it. Again, it's it's a hard, long process. But for us, the rewards, not the financial rewards, the, just the rewards of having completed something immensely satisfying we can take that to our graves happy. It's amazing. And no regrets. And, and are there times now when you go back and re-listen to these previous albums and you're like, oh, we should have done that. Or does that still happen even if you put all that work in? A couple of times, yeah. Because in the past, we will have had deadlines. Yes, and yes. like most bands, you work right up to that deadline. Um, and there are, there are there are pleasant things, though. When you listen to some songs in the past, you can hear... There might be a vocal thing, I'm speaking from a vocal point of view, and you think, oh, that's lovely. I wish I'd sung that two or three more times. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a lovely harmony, but it has one outing near the beginning of a song, and it's never heard again. And you sort of think, I, I can, in my mind, I can hear that happening in the middle of the song and at the end of the song. It would have, it, it would have rounded the song off really nice, but we didn't. And I, I suppose it's because in those early days, we... We weren't interested in the classic, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, 
verse, you know, we, we, we threw that out the window and we've, we've, we very rarely re even repeated a riff. And that's difficult for a lot of fans to enjoy as well, because when you hear a riff and you like it, it becomes a bit of an earworm. You want it to be repeated. And when it comes back, it's satisfying. That's true. And we just ignored all of that in the early days. We wanted to be different and belligerently so. And it meant our early albums are difficult to really get into. You've got to concentrate. You've got to really want to. You know, you've got to invest in devouring it. Lyrics, artwork, the whole thing. Because it's not pop music. It's not even rock music. It's something else. It's a different entity altogether. And I appreciate, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but that's how we wanted to do it. And it was only when we were doing um, The Ghost of Orion that myself and Andrew, we decided, do you know what? If you've got a great riff that kind of makes you nod your head a little bit and it sounds really sweet, play it again. Let's have it two or three times in the same song because we just didn't bother in the past. Let's just mellow out in our old age. If it sounds good, <laughs> repeat it a couple of times. Everyone else does. So we're simply doing that and enjoying it. For, so for us, that's a different thing. So when we listen to The Ghost of Orion, it sounds different to us because you're hearing riffs coming back and then coming back again. It's like, that's quite pleasant. We should have done that maybe 20 years ago. We might have been millionaires by now. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing it for so long. Why do you still do it? What, what is the reason that you continue to create music? What, what, what drives you? Is it the same intentions as when you started? Um, I think, I'm not sure, because I, I feel like I have to do it now for myself. Because mm. for me, for me, I never really stopped writing. Um, because I, I read a lot, and so I've got a lot of words rattling around in my brain. And if I don't get them out, I will go insane. So I'm writing all the time. And if it's not a lyric for my dying bride, it'll be a poem or a short story. I'm trying to compile a book of all my work at the moment. That's awesome. uh, but, and I've still got things up there now. And I think um, I have to put them somewhere to prevent me from going insane. And I'm lucky I have a vehicle called my dying bride to take away their often negative thoughts and, and it's like, you know, that, that, that phrase, a problem shared is a problem halved. If I can get my negativity out and spread it around, it, it, it decreases its power on me. And so I, I love creating music um, because it's almost medicinal. And when you, you've got that product in your hand, you know what's gone into that. What a menacing piece of vinyl or compact disc that is, and people hear it, you know, when they listen to it, they understand that My Dying Bride aren't just another rock band who are messing around in their tight spandex pants and their ripped vests. That We work really hard on making things as good as possible. We, we're not frivolous about the things that we do. And, and I, I, I'd like to think that over 30 years, people have recognised a body of work that has quality written all over it, and nothing's just... Even when we design a T-shirt, it takes me weeks to get every every nuance just right, every font, every position, the colour, the type of material. It's all got to be done, bang on. And if it's not, and if someone says, do you know what, it, it doesn't matter, just print it on anything. I can't do that because when people buy it and they put it on and they think it's a bit thin and the paint wears off after three washes, I can't go down that route. It's not going to happen. 
I love that. I thought it's a very, very true thing that you have to stand behind everything that you've done. And it should, if someone's buying something, they should love it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. When you work hard, you get some money, you pay your bills. And if you've got any left over, you want to buy something. And okay, if it costs a couple of dollars more than um, everybody else, it might be because it's better. It's not always the case, but it might be. I remember when I was a kid buying certain merch, I won't name the bands, and it, the print does wear off. The T-shirt that's predominantly black turns grey after a year. And, you know, there's a hole appearing here and there's a hole appearing here. And it's a bit disappointing, you know. And I, I just want I want better I want better things. I want better things. And, again, the beer, exactly. it, it costs, at the moment, the beer, you have to buy, the minimum is um, 12 cans come in a case. And it's £30. So it's not the cheapest beer in the world. But the effort that's gone into it, I think I, I think the value is there. You know, you, can, you can't taste the value. But do you know what I mean? If, if, we'd, if we'd have undercharged and decided, look, let's just get it out there. We'll sell it for as cheap as possible. There's a certain mentality that I think if you if you give something to someone and it's cheap, it tastes, looks, or feels cheap. And conversely, if it's too expensive, people will mock it. If you can get that balance just right, I think you've nailed it. Mm, absolutely. I, I wanted to talk about you being an artist and doing all the, the cover art and the T-shirts and the artwork. And I imagine you had something to do with that can right there um talk to me about that whole aspect of your creative side please well like the words that are rattling around in my head <laughs> i have these visions as well and uh i need to get them out of my head as well and so um, again if it's not for my dying bride i just do it for the hell of it um because it it it, it serves as two functions because it becomes something visual which i can hang on my wall or if i'm lucky enough i, I might be able to sell it but it, it allows me to to cleanse my thoughts and to, to empty what's in my head and, and put it somewhere else. You you can't just you can't just try and forget things. It doesn't work because they'll You can't swallow them. Yeah. Yeah, they'll sneak up on you when you, you don't want them to. So if you've got somewhere to put them and, you know, I always try and tell people, particularly this, you know, this period we've all been in when there's a lot of depression and people are sat at home, they don't know what to do. And it's quite a challenging time mentally. If you can somehow put those negative thoughts, that that stale energy into something, it may give you clarity further down the line. It, it won't work for everybody, but it works for me. And so sometimes if I've got this sort of, thought in my head and i can visualize it i, I will start to paint something or, or or gather things about me to 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 try and visualize what i'm what i'm thinking sometimes it works and i'm happy with what i've done other times i'm thinking it's not working it's not working so i'm going to write it instead wow really so what started as a, a visual thing becomes written words and and then you, you think oh, it was all it always needed to be written it just showed up as some sort of spectral form and it was it was tricking me into thinking it was visual and I've written about it, boom, it's out of my head and it's not a picture. I thought it was going to be a picture, it's not a picture. Very and it's the same when you've got words, I've got a phrase rattling around in my head and I think, right, okay, let's write, let's write this down, let's see where we go with this. 
And I think, right, there's going to be an epic poem here. And we, we get going, and five minutes later, I've torn the paper up and I've pulled what hair I've got out. And I'm just saying, it's not, why is it not working? Out with the paint. Boom, 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 boom. What was words is now an image. And I've got great satisfaction from doing it. So uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cathartic thing for me to, to do. It's a process that I feel I need to do because I know that once I've done it, there is great enjoyment there and a, a degree of freedom and not being, it's like a ball and chain sometimes when you've got something negative happening and you can't shake it. It's frustrating. If you've got some means to get rid of it, which I have, thankfully, I'm free. That's amazing. And it's excellent, excellent advice for everyone listening to, to channel these demons, these negative thoughts, images, uh, phrases into something cathartic, positive, and just get it out of you. It's, it's hard. You got to face it in order to tackle it. And that's, that's, that's a hard thing because you can just mask it and hide it with a bunch of other substances too. But, but it's, it's best to tackle them and face them and get them out, just like Aaron has been saying. It, it doesn't work for everybody. As I say, we've all got our own methods of, of how we get through life and how we cope. Some people turn to religion. That's absolutely fine. But that wasn't my cup of tea. I found something I'm good at. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, that's open to question. Uh, but it's good for me. And that's the important thing. I think when you're, when, you're, when you're creating something, and again, this is why we've been around for 30 years, you're creating it because you are compelled and you want to create it. And you know that the process of creating it is greatly satisfying. If you're doing it for money, you're not putting a heart into it because you're thinking, right, how do I get the broadest possible appeal for what I'm creating? It will have to be quite simple and, you know, because the world is simple and they want easy things because the world's concentration level is boom, gone in a few seconds. So people create things. It's not really them. It's just something to earn a living. And fine, if that's what you want to do it for. If, if, if when My Dying Bride formed back in 1990, we were just thinking, money and girls, money and girls. <laughs> the spandex. We would have nosedived after six months. <laughs> we would have given up because, you know, you don't, you don't call your band My Dying Bride and write the, <laughs> the kind of songs we do. And expect to be on the radio making a lot of money. It's not going to happen. That's not why we did it. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's wrap this up with one one last question. Uh, it probably never happens to you because you're, you're very in control. You know what's going on. You know how to channel your demons. Um, but it happens to everyone every once in a while. What is your hangover cure? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I don't think I've got one. Um, I do the classical lying on the sofa with the remote control in my hand and an arrangement of snacks. <laughs> um, and I quite often will have water and tea. Um, and I just think those, they're happy things. I think it's challenging having a hangover. If you haven't got the tools there to make life a little bit more pleasant for you, it makes the hangover worse. It's like in the old days when you, you might have gone out had a few too many, you stayed at your friend's house in the spare bedroom or something, you wake up the next day, your head is pounding, you've got nothing around you, you don't know where anything is, you don't even know where the kettle is, you can't have a cup of tea, they've got no milk, oh, and you, they've got different snacks, oh my God, it's, so it intensifies that 
that hangover. So if you are having a session, then plan in advance. Get your snacks, get all your bits and bobs ready. And if you're staying at someone else's house, pack a bag. There's nothing wrong with that. And if it's not, even if it doesn't even have clothes in it, it's just full of snacks. That's absolutely fine. Because if there isn't a hangover cure, you can at least make things a bit easier for yourself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Aaron, thank you so, so much for taking the time talking to me about your life, about your music, and of course, about craft beer. Uh, I really, yeah. really enjoyed myself, and I hope you did too. Cheers. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much. Cheers, everybody. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. What an excellent chat with Aaron. I, I finished that chat just feeling just so uplifted. I loved his creative integrity, the integrity to the music, the passion in regards to his artistic vision. I loved it. I loved how he uses art as a cathartic release and i think that is something that a lot more people should be exploring don't let the darkness get you use art as a way to uplift yourself and there are many forms of art and you know you don't have to be good at art to use art to make yourself feel better you just have to try and get the demons out i love that i love that massive shout out to aaron for taking the time and having a chat with me and man did that dark land brewery old earth brew sound just so good i would love to get my hands on this if anyone can get me this brew i'd be super stoked if you enjoyed this vox and hops episode you should absolutely go subscribe to it on the podcast platform of your choice but not only that you should take the time to rate it and write a review because if you do that more people just like yourself will be able to discover the vox and hops podcast vox and hops is brought to you by sound talent media i have one more episode coming up this week which will drop on friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops hits Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.